Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. Okay, so I guess just to start with generosity, because whenever we hear it, we think money right and um, I will share actually a bit about money tonight and just the journey that I have been on with that but as a church here at R8 and as Christians in general we believe that generosity it's not just about our money and our treasure it's about our time and our talents as well it's how we show up in all of those areas not just the one thing so if money is something that at the minute like don't don't worry think about it from that that whole perspective um as well you know and it's not even having to give money to buy something new the video that caitlin put together this lady that received a donation last year and is able to donate something back like that is a perfect i could just sit there i don't even need to get up um you know and my my friend was saying to me as well you know we don't even have to buy something why don't we share what we have or something that's in our house we don't use anymore? We could just give it to someone else. So yeah, Rachel, thank you for that as well. <laughs> um, so we'll get into it and I'm gonna use two examples from the Bible and the first example, I think it will come up on the screen. It comes from a story in Mark 12, verses 41 to 44. And this reads, And he sat down opposite the treasury, so this is Jesus and his disciples, and they're watching people putting money into the offering box. Wee bit awkward. And many rich people come and they put in large sums. And then a poor widow came and puts in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And Jesus calls his disciples to him and he says to them, truly I say to you, This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. And it's very quick and easy to just skip past what he has just said, but we just pause for a minute and imagine being there with Jesus and hearing what he's saying. He's saying that these two small copper coins, which are the value of a penny, are greater than the total sum of many large amounts. That's not logical in maths right and if i was there i would have been wondering what do you actually mean like do you okay if you did you not take maths at school or like let me explain to you you know that it's all the way about and thank goodness that i wasn't there um because he answers the question in the next verse he says for they all contributed out of their abundance those who were rich but she the widow out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. So my first observation about generosity is that it's not measured by the amount, but it's measured by the sacrifice. Jesus, he doesn't count the large sums the rich people gave us noteworthy because it doesn't cost them anything to give. Um, They don't have to give something up in in order to do that whereas this widow she gave up absolutely everything so actually and jesus knows that he knows that's her everything he knows that other people are keeping stuff in the background even though we don't see that with our eyes 
And what he's saying is those rich people, they have not reached the same level of generosity as this poor widow. And it links into the second observation that not only is it not about the amount, but God, he commends generosity when it's given in faith. Because this widow, what she was doing is she only had a little, yet she had the faith to believe, like a mustard seed. If we give a mustard seed to God, he can do so much with it. So she wasn't afraid that the little that she had was too little to impact the kingdom. She believed that if she gave it, God would use it anyway for his glory. And also, obviously, if she's given all that she has, she's relying and trusting on him to meet her needs as well. It's two massive, massive examples of faith. And, you know, I've, I don't know if I could reach that level of faith. Um, it's just it's an incredible um, example to be set. So I just want to encourage you to, one, don't be afraid to give a little whether it's time, talent, treasure, whatever it is. And if you are given a little and you feel overlooked, don't, because God knows and God sees and Jesus sees, and that's what's most important. It's not what we see, it's what he sees. Um, and I just want to clarify as well that I am not standing here saying, you know, give all your money to God or give all your money to the church. Um, you know, as Christians, we believe that God created everything. It came from him. That's in Colossians. We believe that he's our provider. That's in Philippians. And if we believe those things, then it's our responsibility to be good stewards of what he has. And again, that's our time, our talents, and our treasure. And there's examples in the Bible of people who, like this widow, give everything from a financial point of view and there's examples of people who give generously and they have but they don't give everything that they have as well so it's a balance and that leads me on to the third thing that I noticed from this is that it's not about what we do necessarily it's about why we do it because God he doesn't look at the outward appearance he looks at what's in the heart so to kind of move on into that and I suppose bring it into a bit of my story. So 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, it says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when I met Jesus, <laughs> when I met Jesus that night, um, yeah, he gave me everything I ever needed in that moment with salvation. Like, everything. And I was so thankful and so cheerful. And I wanted to give him everything back. I wanted to put everything in my life in order of God's ways and how he does things, right? And obviously, one of those areas was, is with money. And so I, I started tithing, and it was cheerful, okay? And, and it, what I gave in, in time or talent, all of that, it, it was cheerful. And, you know, feelings, they're not our leaders, but they can be good indicators of something that's going on. So, you know, when you first become a Christian, you have this zeal, <laughs> and then you learn 
discipline that you know you keep showing up you know you can't just rely on your zeal and even when you're going through that discipline you can kind of get these feelings of mm, you know if you're relying on discipline you're kind of having some feelings that maybe aren't just so cheerful or as cheerful as they used to be and actually what happened was I was ignoring those feelings and relying on discipline and I had to take my own advice and go back to the heart and look at what's going on, why is this messy, why am I feeling more reluctant or, or why am I feeling a bit pressured. It wasn't from any other person, it was just the filter that I was looking through. And I suppose in terms of money, that came from a place where before I was saved, for me, I definitely, and even still, it's probably something that, you know, I'll always have to keep a wee MOT check on. You know when you, you know your car should go to the garage and you just don't want to do it because it's inconvenient, right? Um, but you know if you go and you put it in that once a year that it'll be worthwhile. Um, I definitely had a love of money. That's what drove every single decision in my life. Like, even from a very young age, and I don't really know where I came from, but anyway, that's what I had, and it was strange because as I got older, even though I got money, and I always had money anyway, but even though I got it, I had never learned to properly manage it, um, which, you know, thankfully, Johnny is teaching me some very <laughs> useful lessons, <laughs> some very good lessons. <laughs> Um, he loves a, a budget on an Excel tracker, and yeah, that's it. It's a tight ship, it's a tight ship. Um, but, so, so yeah, so even though um, I suppose God had forgiven me of that, what I realized was, um, and even in terms of giving in, in anything in your time, if you're trying to control that, even from a good place, even because you don't want it to control you, the more you try, the more it actually controls you, right? And I had to get to that place where I was like, wait, what am I doing? Because God's forgiven me. And he's forgiven me of all sins. That includes this one. Like, why am I getting hung up on this one? Why can I not accept that I'm forgiven for this one as well? So my encouragement to you guys, you know, I know I've shared a bit about money there, but if there's something in your life that you keep getting hung up on and you don't fully believe that God has forgiven you about that, please go and do the MOT, do the heart check, because I can guarantee you he has forgiven you, and you just need to work through some of that. And on the other side of that, like for me, instead of having, you know, reluctance or compulsion, there's cheerfulness again. So it's so, it, it, it's, it's worth it, it's worth it to do it. And I guess to finish up around generosity, you know, we looked at the story with the widow and there's another um, woman in the Bible and her generosity helped change my perspective um, as well and her name is Mary and what Mary did was she was the one that anointed Jesus's feet with a jar of perfume and that jar of perfume is actually worth a year's salary and that was acceptable to God as much as the widow's two coins that were worth a penny. And I don't know the widow's story. I don't know what 
had the widow had you know her life story was but I know a little bit about Mary's and that's what I want to share to close on because Mary had a sister called Martha and Mary and Martha had a brother called Lazarus and in the chapter before Mary gives Jesus this very generous offering her and Martha send a message to Jesus asking him to come to their house because Lazarus is sick and these are Jesus's inner circle. These are Jesus's friends on earth and they believe he's the son of God as well and they believe that Jesus can come and will heal Lazarus. But Jesus doesn't and he waits and by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. And Mary, I'm thinking about Mary in this, she sent for Jesus, she called for Jesus. He didn't show up. When he does show up, it's too late and she's grieving the loss of her brother and at the same time what must she be thinking or questioning about Jesus um, as well and she goes through all of that mix mash of emotion and, and processing all of that and then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and the next chapter this is what she does with the perfume and I'm like it's because she was so thankful she was so thankful to Jesus for what he had done in her life that she, both these women, they, they didn't count what it cost them um, whenever they gave to Jesus. They were so focused on Jesus with a heart of thankfulness and in an act of worship because that's what giving to God is or generosity to God is. Every act of generosity we do for God is, is to him. Yes, it impacts people and it changes lives and that's what we want but ultimately it's an act of worship to him and when you're so focused on that and so full of thankfulness to him then you won't count the cost and you will realize that being generous actually is such a privilege because what can we give a king you know, what what can we give a king that bought our salvation with his blood that none of us here could do nothing we just have the privilege to actually be in his presence to offer him anything. So thank you, and I hope that encourages us tonight. <laughs> Thanks, Naomi. That was great. So um, uh, I'll keep on going through, sure. So um, the principle and value I want to look at today is unity. And um, unity is our pursuit. That's our goal. That's what we aim for. Um, and that is like a togetherness. Um, as a communion of believers with one sure, sure goal of spreading the gospel and having discipleship with our Lord Jesus Christ. That is our goal. That's what we aim for. That is our pursuit. And um, so from Thursday night, that really rang true for me. Um, when I was just like looking around the room, I got just brothers and sisters in Christ together. Like I, that was family. That was family there on Thursday night, essentially. And I was just, I was preparing for this message and I was saying, well, that's that's unity there, in the, in, as God wants us to be as his church, um, unified and united in that sense. So um, let's go straight into the Bible, as we should, and have a look to see what the Bible says about unity um, and why we have it as one of our key values. So um, I'm going to go to Ephesus, uh, Ephesians, or was it Ephesus? Ephesians? <laughs> I was there this year, by the way. So Ephesians uh, chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verses 3 to 6. And this is Paul writing to the early church. He says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body 
and one spirit, even as we are called in one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in us all. Um, so there we have it from Paul straight away. He's like saying, and try to make unity your target. Make every effort to achieve that. Um, let's go and see what Jesus has to say. So if we look at John chapter 17, 9 to 11, verses 9 to 11, this is Jesus praying for his disciples. And he says, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. All, you ha- all I have is yours, and all um, you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are, to still, they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, so that they may be one as we are one. And I think the, what Jesus is referring to is the Trinity. So that's the, the doctrine of three persons in the one Godhead. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's, that's a probably a perfect example of, uh, of unity in the sense in the Godhead. All together, unified, separate. They're different. All different persons, but in one. Um, so we have examples there throughout the Bible where unity is for something we should really aim for, and there's a blessing through that. But also I was thinking about when it comes to unity. Um, there's a verse in First Peter 5 where it says, Your enemies, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I don't know if anyone remembers. Remember the wildlife shows that used to be on? Remember David Attenberg used to actually do shows about wildlife? Yeah. No? Back, that's back a long time ago. Well, I, I always remember you'd have pictures of the herd, you know, um, the elephants or the gazelles or whatever, and they're out in the prairie, and you'd always see a lion. Now, in my view, I view that as the devil that's prowling around, and as long as the herd's together, there's a protection that comes in that, and I think that's similar to the church. The people, that get, when we get separated from each other, when we get divided, then the devil can really pry in. He separates us off, targets our weaknesses. We're not there to, to support each other, share good teaching with each other. Whenever we're down, you know, all it takes is someone to share a verse with us, and that really helps pull us on. So there's a blessing that comes to that too, and that can only be when we're unified as one church body. Um, and I was also thinking back in Genesis when the story of um, Adam and Eve. Eve gets an awful lot of abuse, doesn't she? She gets a lot of abuse. But I was thinking, where was Adam? Anyone ever think about that? Yeah, so Adam wasn't there with them, so they didn't have a unified response at that point. They weren't together. And the devil saw that. They said, they're separate from each other. I can go in here. I can, where the, Phil, you always say, where there's a gap, there's always room for thoughts to come in which aren't based on, you know, there's the devil comes in and, put, and just gets involved there. And that was the case. He saw Eve by herself. Adam wasn't there. And then he went in there. So there's another, there's another example where if there was unity, that would help in the whole story of this. But I'm going to go off script here. Um, I don't know if I will. But the world, the world if you, anyone's noticed, is very, is very keen to destroy the family unit. You know what I mean? And that's, I think that's something to be there. They want to disunify. Whereas really, God ordained the family to be united, and I think there's power in that, and that's something we have to believe in to support at all times. So, we know what unity is. Now, I wanted to just, uh, unity doesn't come, you have to really, something that you have to pay attention on, it's something we have to work on. It just doesn't happen overnight. Um, so I want to give a couple of examples in the Bible where unity comes to the fore, and that we should really, as a church, bear in mind. So, maintaining unity. I want to look at reconciliation, because 
I don't have kids, but of all use of kids, I think you need the fruits of the spirit, like to, to, keep, to keep a unified family household and not kill each other. So the same is in the church. We're all different people, and there's going to be situations where there'll be issues, misunderstandings, and the Bible's very clear on how we need to address that and stay unified. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it says, if your brother sins against you, so it's a brother, so it's a fellow Christian, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. I've seen this not done, and it doesn't end well. Okay? Um, then we're going to look at Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave the gift there before the altar and go. First, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So that gives a priority there. You know, before you come and present yourself to God, if you know you need to get, some, you need to get right with someone, prioritize that. Go and do that and then come back and get a sword. So that you know, keeps unity the key. And like, that's hard to do. That's, sometimes that involves hot swal- swallowing our pride. Um, I'm going to quickly... So I was looking through the Bible of an example of this, where this happens. And um, I'm going to look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. I'm going to break this down, what's happening here, because it can be a bit confusing. Um, this is in the early church, and Paul is visiting the church in Antioch, which is in uh, modern Turkey. And um, what was happening this time, Peter, who was the apostle that was to prioritize the Jewish nation, the Jews, um, he was visiting that church. And when he was there, he was, he was mingling with the Gentiles. He was eating with them and socializing with them. But Paul was there at the same time. And what Paul noticed is that when some people arrived from Jerusalem, fellow Jews, that um, what happened in that case is that Peter Peter would separate himself from the Gentiles. There would be disunity there. He would be like, okay, I'm not going to spend time with you guys. So he'd change his behavior. And Paul noticed this, and he called him out on it because it's like, you can't treat different people differently within the church. We're all equal. We're all meant to be unified. People get treated the same way. And he noticed this. And it shows, so I'm going to read. So that's the background, and I'm going to read from verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I, I, this is Paul speaking, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For there certain men came from James. These, these are the Jews coming from Jerusalem to the church in Antioch. And, he, and Peter would eat with the Gentiles, but when those Jews came... He withdrew and separated himself, fearing that those who are of the circumcision, so he was feared what those Jews would think because he was um, spending time with the Gentiles. Um, So, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So what Peter's actions as a leader in the church had caused disunity because of what he was doing. Now, the background to this is some Jews, early believers at that time thought that, yes, there were believers in the sense that, yes, faith through Christ you achieve salvation, but they were adding legalism onto that. So it was like, yes, you're saved through believing in Christ, through grace and faith, but you have to add these things on. And this, at this point here, Paul confronted Peter about that. Because, so this reaches back, like if you have a problem with your brother, go a one-to-one with him and address the issue there and then. This also tells us something else. There's no biblical basis for... Um, infallibility in, in leadership. Um, so that's, that's interesting too and something we should bear in mind. So unity is our purpose, but biblical truth is always our priority. 
always our priority. So that's, that's something I really have to, and this is what happened here. Um, Paul called out Peter, and Peter was very senior. senior Peter was, was one of the foundation blocks of the early church, and it just shows how, how much Paul thought of unity in the church, that everyone was treated the same way, and there wasn't division put in the church. So reconciliation, don't let things fester. Um, we're one family, but let's not be, let's uh, try and avoid issues but let's be honest with each other at the same time and uh, have a receptive heart. Um, how am I doing with the time? I'm okay? I'm doing okay. No one's worse, Alan. I'm doing okay? Great. Can I keep going? Is that all right? It's all good? Okay. Right. Um, a final point in maintaining unity is gifts and diversity. This is what we aim for. Diverse church, great, and gifts. Now, Another part that I, during my reading of the scripture, that really shone out to me with unity is how the church is meant to be, to be different. We're all meant to be different. We're not all meant to be carbon copies of each other. Um, that was a key concern in the early church. Um, so if, when I read, uh, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's writing here and he says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about special, special abilities the Spirit gives us, I do not want you to misunderstand this. So obviously, this church had written to Paul at one stage and asked them about spiritual gifts. What's the crack of spiritual gifts, essentially? What's going on? Um, now, when we read, the church is filled with people with different giftings. And that's good. We're not all meant to be the same. We're meant to be different because we all offer something slightly different. So I think all churches, and this happened back in the early church too, certain people are, might think that certain giftings have more precedence or are to be held in higher regard. Um, I have no musical ability, so when I see the guys in the worship group, I'm just like, oh, I wish I could do that. <laughs> or I don't have maybe the preaching ability of Philip and Pete, but what can you do? And then I don't have maybe the technical ability of the guys in the production desk. These are all giftings which... Some people may think, oh, my gifting isn't, I don't even know what my gifting is, or my gifting is worthless. And that's not the case. So um, God wants us to mean, if people have those, can have those thoughts, then that can cause disunity in the church also. Because we can feel undervalued, or we can feel, oh, I don't belong to that church because I'm not like them. I don't have a talent which I can use. Um, so that, that can fall... We shouldn't covet things like that. We just have to realize we all play a, an important role in the church. Everyone's important. No one should be marginalized. We're all diverse. We're all different. God values our giftings. Actually, he's responsible for giving you your gifting. Okay, so I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Is the one and only Spirit, it is the one and only Spirit who distributes all gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So uh, we can take from that, each person gets a spiritual gift. In Romans, we hear about, uh, it gives a list of spiritual gifts. Um, there's prophecy, there's serving, there's generosity. Um, there's a whole number of ones. There's actually mentioned um, a great deal, a good list of them throughout the whole, the whole Bible. But um, he alone decides who gets what. So we are not in a position to go to God and barter with God and say, I want that gifting that he has. I want that. You know what I mean? So we have to be sort of happy with what we have and use it to the fullest potential of that we, we have. Um, so obviously at this time in the church, there were certain people with different giftings and maybe they felt 
that their gifting wasn't as important, and that, that maybe caused disunity in the church. So Paul addresses that. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 15 to 16. And your gifting matters. So this is the point here. If the foot says, I am not part of the body, i.e. the church, because I am not a hand, that does, make, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that not make it any less part of the body? So obviously not. He's making the example here of body parts. Just because you're not the same as another doesn't mean you're not part of the church, part of the family, that, and that you're needed, that you're needed. Um, but also for those who think they're gifting, they put too much value on their gifting and self-importance creeps in. Um, in, chapter, in 1 Corinthians 12, 21, it says, the eye can never say to the hand, I do not need you. Okay? So one of the holiest teams in the church, I think, is the, the cleaning team. <laughs> I had the pleasure of serving with those guys. Brilliant. Brilliant. But, but, but this, this is the point here. There's no giftings which are less valuable in the eyes of God. Um, so it's so important. So everyone's giftings matters. We should use it to the same potential. But there's also a warning with it. Oh, I'm getting all serious. There's also a warning. The parable of the talents. Oh, parable of the talents in Matthew 25. A lot of people think that's about money. So if anyone doesn't know that parable, it goes something like this. I'll try and be quick. So uh, a parable, a heavenly story with a, an earthly, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Um, the story is, Jesus tells it, is that there was a, a, rich, a rich king who was leaving the country for a certain amount of time, and he had three servants. He gives to the first servant um, ten talents. A talent is a, a value of money. He gives to the next talent, uh, uh, servant five talents, and the, I think it was five talents, and the final um, servant he gave only like one or two talents. And so the first two that were given more went away and came back with more. So the first, so um, all three servants came back to the, the king. The first uh, servant came in and said, okay, you give me 10, king, and I've brought, and I brought you back an additional 10. And he said, great stuff, you've done well. I'm summarizing here, obviously. Um, and then the second servant comes back and said, Lord, you've given me five talents. I've, I've doubled that, I've come back, and here's the other five. Here's, I'll give you additional five, brilliant. And he says, well done. And then the final um, servant who was given the least, or what he viewed to be the least, came back and said, look, you didn't give me much here, so I just buried it in the ground, and here it's back. And well, the, the king was very disappointed with that, and he, he actually said, um, depart from me, wicked and lazy servant. And you might think that was a bit, a bit mean, but that's, that's a story that says, no matter how much or what we think our gifting is, how little or how, most, how much, God expects us to use it to the fullest of its potential because he has got something planned for your gifting. That's very important. That's, that's to be used to the glory of God and his kingdom. And for you not to use that, well, it's, it's sort of a warning there. You might think your gifting is not important, but the Bible says it is. You know, it is important. You're part of the body. You might think, or our earthly eyes might think, that it's of less value, but it actually says further in the chapter that what we might see as weaker in terms of giftings or whatever, they are actually the most necessary. So not to, dear me, it's good to have a drink up here, isn't it? So, um, but drinking makes you lose your track of mind. So what was I going to say? Yes. So, um, 
If we were to think back two years ago, what was a sermon or maybe a message or, some, or maybe a worship song you, you, that really impacted you? Can you think back in the particulars of it? I would doubt you can. Can you remember the topics? Can you remember the real points that were in that sermon? I'd say maybe, maybe not. You can't remember that, no. But can you? These are people who are very talented. We always think of pastors and stuff very talented. But I don't. We'll go. But um, I bet you you can remember when maybe you were at your wit's end and someone had mercy and came and talked to you and yeah. sat down beside you yeah. and shared and just had time for you and encouraged you. Encouragement, one of the spiritual gifts. I bet you, I, for me, I'm going to speak personally for myself, I remember that more than I would remember and any message has come back to me. So remember, that's just an example of what we think is the less gifts actually has the most impact. Especially in today's world where people think Christians don't walk the walk. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, they say that, but like, do they spend time with the person who's struggling? That has the most impact in that person's life. And that would be like, this person actually cares for me. He loves me. Where does that come from? Because the world doesn't, the world doesn't have those contributes anymore. So that, that's, comf- that's coming for someone else. That must be spiritual. That must be coming from a love of God. So um, that's just something I wanted to share there. To maintain unity, it doesn't come free. We have to work on it, reconciliation, but also realize that we're all different people and we're all of giftings. We shouldn't covet each other. People do different things, have different giftings, but they're all valued and we're all, we're all needed in terms of keeping a unified church which is going to have an impact for God. Um, finally, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. Um, if one member suffers all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So let's be unified, church. And um, let's press on in that principle because it's so important. And uh, we can really have a, a real impact with that. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.